Hi, and welcome to the Luminaries In and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the moon and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.B. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Scorpio moon as the Luminary Out of Sect, I speak with the astrologer Caleb McCoy. Earlier in November was the anniversary of the launch of the podcast, and this is the last episode of my moon series, and I just want to take a moment to say how grateful and honored I feel to have been able to do this work and have these conversations over the last year. I want to thank everyone that listened, shared the show, supported me financially, and I want to give a very special thank you to all of my guests that have come onto the show to talk with me. I couldn't have done it without you, and I really appreciate you sharing your time, wisdom, and experience with us all. Thank you so much. But as many of you know, this isn't the end of the podcast. Earlier this month, I started a Sun Sign series And I'm really excited to be moving into this new chapter of the podcast as we now have surpassed this first anniversary of its creation. I really hope you enjoy the new series. Before we get into this episode, I do want to offer a bit of a content warning on this one. A lot of this episode revolves around Caleb and I discussing the philosophical problem of suicide. I do think that we come to a pretty hopeful conclusion as a result of our own academic and spiritual and personal journeys, how we've answered these questions for ourselves. But I do want to give listeners a heads up on that so that you can dive into this episode when you're emotionally and mentally prepared to navigate those topics. As always, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, please contribute to the podcast's sustainability by becoming a supporting member or offering a one-time donation on my website. There you can also find information on my services. I'm offering needle and timing consultations, as well as answering horary questions. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, Caleb McCoy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, How are you doing today? Doing really well, doing really well. I am... I mean, you've probably seen by like glancing at my chart, how like personal a lot of the astrology of 2023 has been like just the way it's like locked into my, my chart. But Mm -hmm. in spite of that, like I've been pleasantly surprised by how a lot of the, the transits have shown up and Mm -hmm. honestly, like, I don't know, I can't complain. It's actually been a really good year. That's amazing. Yeah. For those who are interested, we're recording on Saturday, November 4th at one, approximately one 10 PM Eastern time. Um, just for the, the data heads out there, the, the Virgo, the Virgo placements, perhaps, <laughs> uh, do you, yeah. How has the, the recent astrology been? We just go, went through eclipse season. Mm-hmm. There was a Venus retrograde this summer, you know, things have been going on. How, how is it, how has it been for you lately? I mean, the Venus retrograde was basically my extended Venus return, Um, Mm -hmm. since it's stationed retrograde on my Venus and like the one eight years prior to that was a pretty pivotal summer in my life. Mm -hmm. So I was really intrigued how this one would play out. And it was Mm -hmm. cool how I went into the summer, having moved to a new place and kind of having these experiences of being like, I'm kind of lonely. Sometimes I feel kind of like solitary. I'd like to connect with more people. And then Mm -hmm. the weekend Venus stationed direct in early September was like, oh my gosh, I'm almost overwhelmed by all these social engagements and all these connections I've made. 
It's like mm-hmm. a super social summer, and it was really cool having, um, like, I don't know, and um, yeah, just coming into a space where I felt like I was almost like uh, just went from like a dearth or like a poverty of relationships to almost like being overwhelmed or, or, or super wealthy in them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like with eclipse season, um, I'm it's weird because we're in this like eclipses are like liminal in and of themselves, but right. being in a year where we're between these eclipse series, mm-hmm. um, I think I'm just really grateful to get it out of my second and eighth house axis because mm-hmm. like hungry Rahu in the eighth meant taking on debt and the south node in my second meant like you know a lot of expenses sucking away money Mm -hmm. uh from me so it's just like those eclipses tied in really well um with some astrology good but uh personally uh bad experiences with money right um so i'm excited for like to see that starting to turn around Mm -hmm. for like jupiter and taurus to actually start uh stabilizing um my eighth house you know what i mean Right. And for those of you that perhaps can't, um, you know, like project the image of the chart in your mind, Caleb, you have Libra rising. Uh, so you have that 11th house of Leo where Venus went retrograde. Yeah. So it's very fitting that at the beginning, you're feeling a certain way about community or like groups yeah. of people or relationships. And by the end, there's this kind of complete rewriting of that house. Uh, and yeah, you have this Taurus Taurus eighth house uh whole sign house like all libra risings yeah um so yeah just want to kind of give some clarity with that yeah it's really interesting you know curious to hear your thoughts about this uh do you feel like the seventh house um i i think the the taurus the last two taurus eclipses have been really interesting because i've Mm. seen them as both like a dual kind of Taurus Aries eclipse because mm-hmm. there's been either the the luminaries in Aries and the node is in Taurus still or now yes. the the node is in Aries but the luminary was in Taurus and so there's this kind of mixing of these signs and houses and I see and I've seen that kind of manifest in my life and I'm curious your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting is that, like, the, the theme that carries forward, though, because of the way that, um, uh, like, the the baton is being passed in terms of rulership is that it goes from Mars and Venus to Mars and Venus, right? But mm. just, like, opposite ends of the, the zodiac, right? Right. Um, so those, like, those themes remain the same. And I don't know about you, but, like, in my personal experience, um those um like we often think about houses that can't see like see uh each other like the ones that are adjacent or averse to one another right they they have no aspectual relationship and therefore we see them as being like distinct places but i think whether you can chalk that up to the rulership or as you're saying the nodes being in one sign but then the luminary being in another there's been a thematic bleed uh Mm -hmm. between one or the other Um, They've been still inextricably interlinked and unable to be cleanly uh, cut apart. I don't know if that's been your experience too. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's like a intertwining of significations, like for me, fifth, sixth house significations, but there's Mm. definitely like both fifth and sixth house stuff happening at the same time and sometimes intertwined. 
some totally intertwined for sure um yeah beautiful way of putting it thank you for for explaining that um you have a way with words my friend almost like you have mercury in the in the first house (laughs) um all right wonderful well caleb can you give us a an introduction to yourself and your astrological practice yeah so i'm a drummer uh, a writer astrologer, I think most importantly, a father. And I live here in mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon, which is the traditional lands of the Clackamas and Cowlitz peoples. Um, I've got a particular interest in the malefic planets. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of planted my flag uh, as heavy metal astrology. And I see heavy metals being essentially a malefic form of music, right? Mm-hmm. Filled with tons of malefic imagery. That's mm-hmm. like the the bread, my bread and butter, right? What I listen to all day. So I seek a way of marrying those two together and I see that in terms of like really focusing on the malefics in my in my practice right mm-hmm. um but I think in terms of like how I how I approach astrology I was somewhat fortunate in that I came in through occultism or like I should say came into traditional astrology through occultism rather than modern mm-hmm. astrology I kind of like okay. skipped that uh, route I know a lot of people will come in through that door Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, like I was, I was pretty skeptical of astrology for a long time. I thought it was like this weird vestigial organ that the like Western occult tradition had picked up and just carried with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I couldn't see like how there was a causal relationship between the planets, what they're doing, the positions of the stars, etc. Mm-hmm. And do you think how there that is would... a? Do you think there is a causal relationship? Well, I feel like the deeper I get into astrology, uh, the more I am open into open to that like causal um, there being some kind of causal mechanism, mm-hmm. but being uninformed and not as well read. And I think just like an arrogant 20 year old, I was like, no, this is this is this is nonsense. Right. Right. Um, but the what I later realized is you can't truly get into Western occultism without encountering astrology. It's like trying to take the starch out of a potato, like Mm. just baked in there. Um, So it was like hearing Austin Kopic then talk on an occult podcast that like opened me up to it. I mean, Mm. like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that, you know, rather than it being this form of like pseudo pop psychology, it's it's this living tradition that goes back thousands of years. It has these incredible predictive techniques, this beautiful archety- archetypal tableau with it with which it can kind of like paint um, like images of your life in both broad and very fine strokes. So um, so like when it came to time to receive formal training, I ended up taking uh, Adam Allenboss's uh, year one class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I like in terms of teachers, I see him as like probably my number one okay. teacher or biggest cool. influence as far as how I approach astrology. Okay. And he himself is like, you know, based in ancient astrology, but obviously incorporates, I think, a lot of like modern techniques. Mm-hmm. And I do the same, like still mm-hmm. using the outer planets like Neptune and Pluto and so on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but yeah, and then I would say like also. Later on, I was star-pilled by the, by the work of Amaya Rourke and Sasha Ravitch. So I really am interested now in the fixed stars and starting to incorporate um, their mythology uh, into my readings, into how I approach astrology. And mm-hmm. I think, like, lastly, just as, like, a foundation, like, 
anything in my life I try to approach from the lens or from the from the from a baseline of um, being a Buddhist and I feel like my own practice of Buddha or Buddha Dharma is like the the, the point from which I like to uh, approach everything including astrology um, mm. hope that makes sense wonderful totally yeah I mean I'm particularly interested in how spirituality and astrology kind of intersect so I'm curious how your spiritual foundation if it's okay to or if it's like you know accurate to describe Buddhism as that as a spirituality yeah. how that um interplays with astrology for you yeah for sure I think um that is actually a pet peeve of mine is the 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 frequency with which Buddhism is referred to as like, oh, it's just a philosophy rather mm -hmm. than a spiritual practice or, or even a religion. Um, I think it's, it's, it's totally both of those things. And mm -hmm. insofar as how it informs my astrology, I think it's important that like the very first noble truth of Buddhism is that there is suffering, there is mm. dukkha, there is some kind of dissatisfactory um, aspect to simply existing in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is why I found traditional astrology so appealing coming into it because rather than um, being a, a, a means of like, I don't know, rather than being a means of like describing one's personality or interests, it could, uh, it has like the predictive techniques to mm -hmm. um, speak to like a lot of the terrible things that happen to you in life. And even yeah. if it doesn't ameliorate those things, sometimes having an explanation for why they happened or being able to frame it in the context of like, oh, wow, I spent like three years going through this really difficult experience, but that was my Saturn return. And now I'm more mature, more responsible, mm -hmm. wiser mm -hmm. as a result. Like, I think having that language is so, so important um, and having an astrology that is open to 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 suffering and people's daily difficulties um whether those are acute or chronic mm -hmm. wonderful thanks for for explaining that um before we move on to the conversation on the moon i just want to thank you for coming on the podcast you were like an or early financial supporter of this podcast which i always appreciate because there is a lot of work that goes into producing this um so i just want to thank you for that and for coming on um is there anything that you want to add in terms of like how we're connected with each other i think it's mostly you know just being being buds on social media uh in the in the astro twitter sphere or what have you um I'm yeah I think, to... I think it's just through the internet um mm -hmm. i haven't really i haven't had the the opportunity yet to go to like any astro conferences or anything like that but yeah mm -hmm. i think just through twitter and i was trying to remember today like I, I came across your podcast right when you, I think, put out the first episode. And I don't even remember how I came across it or if maybe I was already following you or what have you. Um, but yeah, I just remember thinking it was just a strikingly good idea in the realm of like, you know, there's so many astrology podcasts, but just thought it was yeah. such a remarkable idea, good way of standing out. It's not just another group of folks sitting around and forecasting the month ahead, right? Um, mm -hmm. um so yeah, I've admired it since its inception. Mm, really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so when you think back to your childhood, Caleb, uh, what was your relationship with, to the moon then? Or is there like a memory that you have 
of the moon that kind of stands out? Right. So I've been racking my mind for the past like few <laughs> weeks to like look for a memory. And I don't know if you can like chalk this up to having the moon in a dark house or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I honestly cannot think of like a specific moment that springs to mind um, with respect to like the moon in, in my childhood. Um, oddly, what did get, come up though is I remembered being young, probably like eight, nine or 10 or something and spending um, the night at a friend's house who lived out in the boonies of Illinois, like mm -hmm. out in like farmland, right? Um, and it was just, you know, I think we were hanging out like around the campfire with his dad and they had like, like at least a half acre, maybe an acre of uh, land. And we were like looking up the stars and like trying to pick out constellations. And I remember being like super adamant that we had to find this, the constellation Scorpio. And luckily really it was summertime, funny. so we could find it, right? Uh -huh. But like, I just remember I was very fixed in like needing us to find that constellation. Mm. Did you know that you had Scorpio placements at that point or why were you attracted no. to that constellation? I have no idea. I think I just thought predatory animals were awesome. Mm. Sharks, <laughs> wolves, scorpions. So I was like, if there's a scorpion in the sky, we ought to find it because that sounds incredible, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Very cool. So what does the mean what does the moon mean to you today and why do you think it's important that we focus on it uh, or consider it when we talk about astrology? Yeah. Um, so one one thing that comes up is how I, I largely perceive astrology um, on one level as being a study of time, but rather in terms of like quantity, a study mm -hmm. of the quality of time. Yeah, and, I love that definition. Right? It's like, what I come back to often. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, if we take that image of like the giant celestial clock, right? Mm -hmm. Some some vast mechanism with all kinds of like uh, cogs and wheels all interlinked. Uh, the moon, besides the planetary hours, the moon is sort of like the smallest, most microcosmic cycle we can zoom in on. So mm -hmm. if we think about the moon as this like, uh, this this device for reckoning time and the length of time, like just in terms of history, that the moon has been bound up in how humans have just reckoned uh, time, like lunar calendars, uh, lunar solar calendars. Obviously, we like our secular calendar is mm -hmm. built upon the sun now, but most ancient cultures had either a lunar or a lunisolar calendar that either focused mostly on the moon or married the two together. Mm -hmm. um, just like, and there there are still means where this like filters in. Uh, today, like a lot of holidays are still uh, reckoned that way with their dates kind of floating here or there. Mm -hmm. And um, like there's a line in the Higromantia, the prayer for the moon says, O Luna, the sign in all celebrations of festivals. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of that ability of the moon to bring people together, like when, like the way full moons have marked when to when to celebrate certain holidays. It's right. like, oh, this the 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 moon is at its brightest, and therefore we should gather together at this time of year. And these are the prayers we say. These are the rituals we hold. This is who we worship, or or what have you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And then like on another level, just in terms of like the natal chart, I really think of the moon as indicative of 
dwelling place mm. or environment, um, one, what, what one's surroundings or like the the context uh, for for a native's life. My go-to metaphor in terms of like understanding the big three is that of a that of a plant with the ascendant like describing the particular plant that the native is right Mm -hmm. like are you a cedar tree are you a venus flytrap are you a rose bush Mm -hmm. but then the sun being like this um this light that you are aspiring toward like the ideals that drive your vitality but then Mm -hmm. the moon being okay what is the soil you are planted in are you in a desert? Are you in a forest? Right? Are you on in some kind of a seascape? Um, mm. And the moon um, highlighting like, oh, th- like you may have these ideals, you may be this kind of person, but this is the terrain that you are working within. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful image. Um, so what does the sign of Scorpio mean to you? Can you tell me a little bit about how you understand that place or environment or however you envision it yeah yeah um so when when thinking topographically with scorpio um there's kind of two kinds of places that come to mind Mm -hmm. um it's it's a fixed water sign right so if we think of water that is fixed in a single direction or fixed in purpose Mm -hmm. what comes to mind are, are rivers um streams but especially rivers and the way that we think of like the, the, the aggressive and persistent nature of rivers, the way they can carve and erode and wear away stone over mm. millennia, like looking at the Grand Canyon and thinking, wow, that is, that is the work of water over an immense amount of time. Like right. Colorado carving that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then moreover, there, there's also the image that springs to mind of Scorpio as a place of putrefaction, of, mm. of, of rot, of compost and decay. So like fens, swamps, bogs, marshes, places where water is fixed in terms of like, it's not a flowing movement like a river, but it, it, it moves downward. It's pushing downward. It's diving downward and like this, that stagnation, um, that there's uh, like a stillness with a movement underneath and that like many complex processes are happening to break things down uh, and restore them so -hmm. that they can become something new. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like uh, runoff becomes potable through the filtration process. which mm. I don't really understand. You know, I don't understand the mechanism, but, you know, I know that waterfalls, it goes through, it's filtered through the soil. It ends up in the well where it's like purified and protected. Totally. Um, so that it's potable. Totally. Yeah. I think um, one, one, so one other thing, uh, like tidbit that I've collected about uh, Scorpio that I really find personally compelling mm-hmm. is that in most but not all like east asian traditions of buddhism if we want to talk about reckoning holidays generally the birthday of the historical buddha uh, siddhartha gautama or buddha shakyamuni is celebrated during the first full moon of may and like mm. nine times out of ten that first full moon is going to be the scorpio full moon right that comes mm-hmm. in may mm-hmm. 
And I think there's something really like, like, even if we don't really know when his historical birthday was, there's something very mythologically fulfilling or like archetypally rich about having this teacher who was so focused on impermanence, the transitory nature of, of, of life, you mm-hmm. know, um, who, who embarked on his spiritual journey after encountering sickness, old age, and death, right? Um, There's something very striking about him having a Scorpio moon, especially like we think about the moon as one's mother figure and the fact that his mom died when he was when he was young. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if like going off of that, if we think about the son as father and the fact that his dad was um, some kind of a royal chieftain prince, some kind of princely figure. Right who mm-hmm. raised him in a, a place that was, that was stately and filled with Torin delights, like fine fruits, beautiful mm-hmm. women, incredible music, dancing, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I find, that, I find that rich as well. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm reminded of the first noble truth, which you mentioned, which is basically the nature of existence is suffering for... <laughs> you know, a right. poor paraphrase. And that does feel uh, pretty Scorpio moon from what I understand of talking to my guests from like the last episode of mm-hmm. this awareness, you know, this constant kind of awareness of like birth within one's birth is one's death. And, yeah. uh, you know, like the process of living is the process of dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You make a note here about a Celtic fable, and I'm hoping that you can tell me a little bit about that because um, I have this interesting uh, connection with Scorpio that's coming to mind in in relation to kind of Celtic Irish history. Okay. So I'm I'm interested if you could tell me a little bit about the frog and the scorpion. Definitely. I mean, being Celtic uh, or like Irish myself, I'd love to hear what you have to share Mm -hmm. after that. But um, yeah. I don't know exactly the origin of this story, but it goes that, you know, a frog and a scorpion are sitting on the side of a river, or some, some kind of body of water, right? And the, the scorpion says to the frog, like, oh, I'd really like to cross to the other side. Could you help me? I'll, like, climb on your back and you mm-hmm. could swim me across. And the frog says, well, are you crazy? Why would I do that? You know, you're, you're just going to sting me um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll die. The scorpion is like, no, are are you crazy? Like, I would die too. Why would I? Why why would I do something like that? That's that's ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. So then the frog is like, all right, you know, it. You're you're right. You have a deal. Let's let's cross the the stream. And the scorpion climbs on his back, and they're once they're halfway across, the frog can feel the sting of the scorpion's stinger, like strike mm-hmm. him. And he says, like, you fool. Like, why 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 did you do this? Um, and the scorpion says, like, well, it's it's in my nature. I can't mm. be anything other than the what's in my nature. And together they they both, you know, sink into the, the pond. Um, so there's something about, again, like that wrangling with um, destruction, I guess, for lack of a better term, endings, the, the ferocious side of, of life, um, predatory mm-hmm. animals. There's something very, like... Um, Prowling, primordial, dangerous, um, id-like about mm. Scorpio, mm-hmm. um, animalistic or bestial even, 
where this this scorpion says like no i am consigned to live out my fate as this um aggressive creature and though i promised otherwise like yes i i delivered both of us unto destruction or, or death or, or what mm. have you you know mm -hmm. yeah i'm reminded of i mean astrologically like the rising of the fixed star Sirius for the Egyptians was uh, coincided with the flooding of the Nile, which was very important right. to their like agrarian life, um, their sustenance. But I'm just reminded of the nature of flooding and how it simultaneously brings plenty, but also brings destruction. Yeah. And the, the destructive element of the flood feels like, uh, feels scorpionic to me. You know, and there's something even to, you know, like the 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 biblical flood of mm. like a cleansing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's used as a as a way to cleanse the world of like some type of whatever. I don't I don't know. I don't have formed thoughts on that, but that comes <laughs> to, I, I feel like that's unavoidable in our collective consciousness. You know, yes. like the, the biblical flood. Um. Yeah, the thing that comes to mind for me for Scorpio, thinking about uh, Irish history is this podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with, are you familiar with Blind Boy at all? No. Okay. He's like the front person for the Rubber Bandits. Okay. Which is this like famous song, Horse Outside, which is like just an absurd song. Like he's at a funeral or whatever in the music video and he's talking about how everybody has like these like sports cars outside but he has a horse and like the girl should go with him <laughs> on his horse it's not like a country song it's like this guy from limerick yeah. um but uh he's he has this podcast called the blind boy podcast and he does episodes about like super random shit so he did this episode about like um why like why he became so addicted to drinking seltzer mm. and he did this deep dive into um like the historical significance of like mineral springs in Ireland mm, and how mm -hmm. people people thought of mineral springs as like these healing bodies but it takes incredible amounts of time for healing springs to like become what they are uh and as a result they were these protected places so like you you were um it was taboo to like do certain things around yeah. them or what have you, or to, to mistreat them in certain ways. And there's this whole kind of body of mythology that springs up around that, that he kind of goes into that I can't quite recall right now. Um, but one of the interesting things is he like connects it to um, like to the Irish diaspora and how mm. uh, and like anthro it like uh anthropological or archaeological like research like around irish american um settlements for lack of a better term mm -hmm. you you can like distinguish them because you find like they they find like old seltzer bottles interesting but like around other kind of immigrant groups of the same time those are not found like mm -hmm. italian american different right. kind of your it's like a kind of almost uh like an not inherited thing but there's this kind of cultural artifact of like carbonated water hmm. uh and irish irish americans like drinking it 
yeah like yeah. kind of in copious amounts because Trying. of this historical like connection yeah. between mineral springs and healing yeah. you know which and i consider like the culture all around these mineral springs is very scorpionic and you know scorpio is like fixed water if we think about like it, it is water is emotion it's like okay there's a depth of emotion but like you don't let everybody in because if the well gets poisoned it takes a mm. long time for for that to for that process of yeah. clarification that process of um filtration to like happen you know it's not like pisces where there are just fucking huge waves going <laughs> all over the place and a drop of poison is going to do shit you know it's right, not right. even like cancer you know where you know whatever the 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 shore breaks back and forth um it's this water that really gives life but also needs needs to be protected right i think that that is fascinating um yeah that's cool too like the the cultural affectation of like drinking seltzer water is almost like this way of remembering like the importance of the holy well um mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting um i think like one thing that you raised there is like the the healing power of the process of purgation and how like most purgatives are um like poisons of some mm -hmm. kind we think about scorpio as being represented by a scorpion which is it's the only like astrological sign that where the 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 image is something that's like completely deadly like yeah this mm. the, like the the sagittarian centaur has an has a like a bow and arrow but you can also yeah. do that just for sport and like the lion of leo is deadly but it's also it's got that mammalian love and affection still you know mm -hmm. but like the scorpion has poison in its stinger right yeah and how we say the only difference between poison and medicine is in the dose right so if right. you take uh, a little bit of a purgative uh, what you end up going through is a violent and visceral process of like getting toxins out of your body. But at the end, you experience catharsis and you mm. come to a point of being of, of being healed, right? Of of um, re being restored to a state of wholeness, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Caleb, can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience of having your moon? uh in this place of scorpio yeah um all right so i feel like one thing that's unavoidable here is that the moon is fallen in scorpio mm -hmm. right and another way we talk right about... off the bat what is what does that mean to you what does like a planet <laughs> fall mean to you okay um what i really appreciated uh in adam's course he goes through a whole rationale as to how he sees exaltation and fall as essentially lunar and domicile and um, exile, right? As being essentially solar, right? Mm. And that exaltation and fall is intrins intrinsically bound up in, 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 in fortune, either being raised to a high place, being, being mm -hmm. exalted, set on high, you know, the, the story of someone who starts as like a pauper and is made a king, or the person who is brought low, who, you know, is is at like a, 
you know, starts at a high station of life and then is humbled, right, through mm-hmm. circumstance, mm-hmm. Uh, through the vicissitudes of fate. And, like, literally the, the words bound up in describing, like, depression or fall and exaltation suggest, like, um, height, right? Like, a right. low place, a high place. Right. And, like, like the, the, I don't remember the Greek word for depression, but it's, like, suggests like a ditch, right? Like a planet tripping and falling into a ditch. Mm-hmm. But I think we can take it not just as like a physical low point, like a trough or a ditch on the side of the road, but like, especially if we're talking about the moon as mood, like a a depressed mood. And mm. just like I spent a majority of my life, at least thus far, grappling with um, um, depression, you know, with mm-hmm. like a, a subdued, mood uh like i got diagnosed with major depressive disorder at a young age i think i was like mm-hmm. seven or eight mm-hmm. um and yeah just feeling like i was always inextricably stuck in this this mire or this morass that i could not pull myself out of you know mm-hmm. like a, a an emotional low point mm-hmm. um that felt like a swamp that i couldn't swim out of you know what i mean yeah um so like how how have you how have you dealt with that if you don't mind me asking i think um talking you know from the last scorpio moon episode also just thinking about my own like moon mars configuration in my Mm. first like i think martial moons like there's this very much association with like the need for movement Uh, i'm wondering Mm. if you resonate with that at all or how you've kind of learned to navigate that. Yeah. So I would say, um, just to, I guess, back up or give like further, further context, like mm-hmm. it all started for me when I was around like the age of seven, mm-hmm. I would do these like um, thought experiments while I like laid in bed at night and somehow like through the course of just like, yeah, letting my mind wander I think I like hit upon realizing that one day I was gonna die that everyone yeah. I knew was gonna die that like mm. like everything that we do at the end of the day is transitory fleeting will come to an end your deeds will be forgotten right like mm-hmm. and I remember my mom says supposedly that I came to her at age seven was like mom what's what's the meaning of life uh mm-hmm. but like in the sense that like Albert Camus said, the only serious question, uh, the only serious philosophical question is suicide. Like, mm. why bother persisting at all if we know one day we're going to die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, why go on when everything's transitory and impermanent, right? Why, why bother? Mm. Um, and that, like, set me, and, like, looking back, I can see, oh, wow, that was, like, my opening Saturn square and Saturn was opposed to my moon during Mm -hmm. that moment. Um, But that set me on sort of like this lifelong search for meaning and like the, the answers that I was searching for, right. To answer this question, the ones that I were initially given like by my mother, I found unsatisfactory, right. They didn't answer Mm -hmm. my question. They were not the medicine I needed for that particular illness. Right. May I ask so, what, like, what what you were given at that time? So I was like raised in a really fundamentalist Christian household, like mm. um, pretty pretty uh, yeah, pretty tight, pretty 
um, closed up. Like I was given the book of Ecclesiastes and Rick Warren's um, oh, The Purpose Driven Life okay. and found those like, yeah, I didn't find those answers fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I spent a long time as a kid trying to like learn eschatology and um, apologetics and the ins and outs of Christian theology. And I thought like, hey, man, maybe like all the air in my chart, right? Maybe mm-hmm. if I just get the facts, the doctrines in the right order, if I construct yeah. this like, you know, this is like mental. I can just figure this thing out. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. then it, this would all go away, you know? So I like mm-hmm. tried my damnedest to like to work with the what I was given until I just had to like I, I until I came to a moment as a teenager where I was like, this does not work for me and I need to find another model, another belief system. And mm-hmm. the problem was because I grew up in such like a conservative household, my access to media, to to um, reading sources, uh, mm-hmm. like out, outside of like the purview of what my mom thought was comfortable, was like curtailed and censored. Like I remember bringing mm-hmm. home a stack of occult books when I was like 17 or 18 from the library, like hiding them under my bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then coming home one day and my mom had found them and like returned them all. And that was a whole, whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, I just want to point out like what what the thing that's coming to mind is that like the moon also represents gestating parent. And so yeah, there feels like a kind of scorpionic air on your mother and the environment that she, you know, you talked about the moon as the environment and yeah. the environment that she kind of created for you, this kind of closed system. Yeah. And if we want to talk about like having a fallen moon, it's like having, uh, being born into an ill fit right like it's it, it's um being born into a place that doesn't necessarily nurture or support you like that being said i i feel like i'm pretty privileged and i've had like a relatively good life like i grew up in a you know low a low middle class household right but it was like mm-hmm. on a, a in terms of like the 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 meat of like meaning that i needed to feel like life was worth living i couldn't encounter it right right or couldn't get the medicine i needed right um but like that's what set me on the whole path of you know exploring different religions belief study uh belief systems and studying philosophy in college and um exploring occultism doing lots of psychedelics you know like Mm -hmm. especially mushrooms if you want to talk about scorpionic things right Uh like purgatives Um, like literally inducing a fever yes (laughs) transformation yeah uh and like so without all that without without the ill fit right i wouldn't none of that would have happened um Mm -hmm. and like i will say now like yes i find that when i get into stuck spaces i find movement uh incredibly helpful especially like like i said i'm a drummer and Mm -hmm. drumming is like like people ask if I play music and I always tell them like, you know, I don't really get chords. I don't really get scales. Like I'm a big Neanderthal with this shit. Like just mm-hmm. give me something to hit with sticks and I'm happy, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and like drumming is such a visceral and primal musical experience, especially like if you're playing punk or if you're playing metal, like mm-hmm. just unleashing kinetic force, like uh, on, yeah. on the drum set, I find incredibly cathartic. Right. Or even just, listening to super brutal music like i wouldn't have gotten as into metal as i am 
if it weren't for the fact that it was like, oh, wow, I hear somebody screaming <laughs> and I wish I could scream. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. screaming for me and this feels like I'm having my experience mirrored back at me and like, like, like that being a cathartic experience too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to leave listeners with Camus question and mm. what you got when you were a kid that was insufficient without asking you what you found to answer that question. Oh yeah. Why yeah, is, definitely. why is life worth living? Why is life worth it living? So like, <laughs> it's, I, it's funny because I feel like the what I'm going to say is going to sound like kind of like pithy or mm-hmm. or corny or whatever. But like this is this is what I have discovered. This is your answer. This is my answer, right? It life is um, the point of life is to live it. Like mm-hmm. and in fact, its transitory nature makes it all the more like precious. Like the fact that this moment we are having right now will never be replicated could Mm -hmm. only have come about because of certain causes and conditions and will only last for this brief hour, however long we we talk. Like the fact that this moment has arisen means we should cherish it all the more, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to be the kind of Buddhist who who retreats into a monastery or a hermitage to to you know achieve enlightenment i want to dive as deep into life as possible and hold everything in my hands even as i know it's passing through them like sand do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i that i think is is the 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 meaning of life that like yes you only get one shot it's going to have its highs it's going to have its lows it's going to be an incredible ride and like it's it's this fragile thing so like be kind to other people you know and mm. be kind to yourself yeah what i'm hearing coming through is kindness presence gratitude yeah i think gratitude more than anything else um yeah um it i think really has helped steer my ship in the right direction and like mm-hmm. being able to count my blessings and know what i can be grateful for you know is and like really helps contextualize things even on the darkest days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm having a a very malefic out of sect station day today, Saturn stationed (laughs) direct today. And I'm feeling Saturn rules my second and third Mm. and I'm feeling a bit of like lack. Mm. And so I know when I'm in that place, my go-to is to like do a gratitude list, either mentally or actually writing one out if I really need to. But um, I'm curious if like you have, do you, if you have like a formal gratitude practice or anything like that. Yeah. It kind of came about organically. Um, At one point in my life, I'd, it was definitely a low point. I was actually reading a book you've brought up a lot on the podcast, the consolations of philosophy by Boethius. Yeah. Um, But I'd, I was married and divorced at a young age. It was kind of like a foolish, just like young, dumb thing I did, right? Mm-hmm. And then moved into my sister's house. I was living in her basement and sleeping on an air mattress, just kind of thinking like, what am I going to do with my life? What have I done? You know, I feel silly, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I had a hard time sleeping um, and like falling asleep every night. And instead of counting sheep, what I started doing was bring, like with each breath, 
bringing to mind and like visualizing someone in my life who meant something to me, like who I was grateful for. Mm. And then, um, and then like on the exhale, like, like sending them thanks or sending them gratitude or, you know, like, um, positive regard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and would do that until I could fall asleep. And, um, nowadays I like, sometimes I still return to that, but I think more takes the form of like before mealtime, I like to say a certain, um, gatha like a buddhist prayer um Mm -hmm. and take a moment to like reflect on my gratitude for the meal but just like also like list the other things that have happened to me that day that i'm Mm. that i'm grateful for you know yeah it's interesting you talked about like your pre-bedtime uh ritual and when you're a kid it's like getting to this place where you're thinking about death and when you're you know in your 20s or what have you you know, you're basically like doing meta meditation, which is like, I've referred to a number of times on the podcast, because it's been such a important practice for me, Uh, Mm. like the cultivation and extension of loving kindness. Yeah, to both myself, but to people in my life that I love. Uh, And so it's really cool to hear that evolution in your life. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. But um yeah, that that's cool how you how you highlighted that. And I'm mm-hmm. glad it's been like fruitful for you too. Like I guess I stumbled upon it accidentally. Um, but I think like one of the the like when you do it um formally, like you hear a teacher doing it, the hardest part is always like the now think about somebody who you can't stand. <laughs> you know, bring them to yeah. mind and then try mm-hmm. to send them some loving kindness, you know? Right. Yeah. I do feel like once you've feel once you find i mean personally once you find the place of loving kindness within you mm. it gets a lot easier to cultivate it and to be able yeah. to uh because there's this interesting combination of head and heart and meta meditation where you're like mm-hmm. doing all of this like physical isolation of like your chest almost mm-hmm. and like that's yeah. the place like your heart yeah. center is the place where that feeling of loving kindness is being cultivated and then you're like thinking about things so you're almost like kind of, I don't know, it's like I have a lot of Capricorn stuff in my chart and I feel like my thinking can be very, can tend towards the negative. And when mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it's almost like one of those things we had when we were kids where it's like you you press a thing and it changes like the shade. It's like putting rose colored glasses oh, yeah. <laughs> almost on like yes. the, the, the filter of the brain now is like filtered through rose color when like I'm that. like maintaining this practice and it's like a little bit less negative. Yeah. Um, I like I like that when thinking of how like the Jupiter si- Jupiter ruled signs of Sag and Pisces like bookend the 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 Saturn ruled signs. You mm-hmm. know, it's like Jupiter. Like I know Saturn has to do with containment, but it almost feels like Sa- Jupiter cushioning. You know, yeah. Saturn's tougher edges, right? Yeah. Shout out to Diana Rose Harper because she has an amazing lecture on that concept uh, that she did at Norwalk last year mm. so if anybody's interested i would definitely suggest that she goes into into the saturn saturn jupiter uh relationship mm-hmm. wonderful yeah you've mentioned that your the sign of scorpio falls into your second whole sign house can you tell us a little bit more about what it's like to have the moon in that in that house yeah, I think that was actually one of the placements that was hardest for me to puzzle out when I first started getting into astrology. 
Because mm-hmm. the second house is just like not a very sexy place. Like mm. I think we we'd love to have you know as astrologers we love to see a planet in the third, the ninth, the fifth, the tenth, first, whatever you know. Yeah. So like it's like what do I do with this this second house moon? What is not, happening here? Not right? me over here with my second house stellium. <laughs> right, right. But it, I'm sure you've had moments too where you looked at that and you're like tried to puzzle it out right totally like, and then it's like you read Demetra, and she's like this is a dark house an unfortunate place that's how they're envisioning it and i'm like it doesn't seem that bad i don't know like right right it's about to rise yeah well and that's why i uh think of the second house as like the least dark of the dark houses do you know what i mean like um it maybe we could think of it as like a room with some string lights on mm-hmm. you know or at least a night light you know mm-hmm. um Hey, sometimes you need the big light off. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, like uh, I think, and it, it, like all the significations are so like tactile. It's like oh, it's money and resources and possessions and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I I can see that in that it's like oh, my body has been a resource in the sheer like physicality of many of my jobs or like their Mm. lunar nature you know like i've done a lot of jobs in food service so like feeding people um i've Mm -hmm. done a lot of work and where it's like a recurring theme of like oh uh, working for a family business right right um or for any of those that are listening again just to kind of paint the image for libra risings that using whole sign houses the 10th house is always cancer so the moon always rules this place of work um no matter where kind of the mc floats to thank you um and like uh caring for children like Mm. doing a very nurturing role right Mm -hmm. Um, doing doing lunar work right Mm -hmm. um but then i would you consider like being a dad like you you kind of described most importantly i'm a father yeah yeah and 100 percent. i think like having like a cancer 10th house, I found kind of odd too. Um, and it wasn't until I became a dad that I was like, especially because I didn't feel up until that point a call to any particular vocation. Like I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But mm-hmm. I had this attitude for a long time of like, a job is just what you do to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Like what you actually enjoy happens outside of those hours, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so then, yeah, like becoming a dad, especially in so far as like, my dad my dad was around you know but he was an i would say an incredibly uh, present presence you know mm-hmm. like he was distracted usually and i feel like he didn't quite know how to how to connect to me at least as a kid our like relationships gotten better now as i'm older but like especially mm-hmm. becoming a dad myself and being like you know what like not a lot of other careers vocations whatever have panned out in a really incredible way for me so maybe mm-hmm. at the at the end of the day, like the best thing I can do with my life, like the most fulfilling, rewarding thing I can do is just be a really good dad to my daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, I think I think that is definitely like a strong theme there. And then like also thinking about primary motion and how you mentioned that like planets in the second are about to swoop into the first, right? And kind of take the stage. You can think of the second house as kind of like backstage or the green room right before somebody goes out into the spotlight right Mm, because it's like that's that's the space that the sun occupies right before sunrise right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 
And I realized like during that time of day, that is my favorite time of day. Like me too. An hour or two before dawn, mm-hmm. the sun hasn't quite risen. There's this like beautiful privacy to it, you know, that mm-hmm. feels like the, yes. the entire world is your own secret. Right. Mm. And like, I like to rise early. I like to meditate, stretch. I make some coffee. I offer it to the local spirits and then my ancestors and then <laughs> drink it myself. Right. And like, I find that doing these like habits and routines um, help me, they like support everything in my first house and help me um, prepare or be ready for when the day begins to like enter it from the right uh, space, from the right mindset. Do you know what Mm, I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. That's also my favorite, favorite time of day. I'm not often up. That's so cool though, that you also have all those second house planets. Yeah. And I, I have my son like mm. th- 30 minutes after my birth, the sun rises approximately. Whoa. So like when I'm born, I'm in this kind of interstitial place of yeah. like dusk, not quite yeah. sunrise, but the moon is in the sky. Yeah. So it's interesting. interesting. I just, I love the light at that time. I feel like yes. the light is magical for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially like, um, like, uh, certain times of year too, like, uh, like springtime when the days are getting brighter and you can get up right before sunrise, it's super early, right? But mm-hmm. you know, like you hear the birds chirping and you can kind of smell the flowers blooming. Or this time of year when that that time is actually like pretty late, you know, it's like at yeah. least where I'm at, it's like seven o'clock, six mm-hmm. o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go outside, but you can sometimes get a really clear view of the stars or like right now see Venus, like morning star yeah. Venus, see her super clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, like it just kind of imparts a sense of wonder. It's like private wonder uh, yeah. before the day gets going. Yeah, absolutely. All right, can you tell us, uh, Kayla, about your Mars placement, um, the sign and what house that's in in your chart? Yeah, so I've got Mars in the first um, mm. in Libra. Uh, it's like 24 degrees, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so... Uh, so <laughs> I've got a debilitated moon being ruled by a debilitated Mars, right? Mm. Um, and again, like this, this Mars has taken me a while to puzzle out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I really liked how in a recent episode of the Astrology po- Podcast, Austin Kopic described m- like Mars and Libra in that Deccan as being like somebody juggling many plates. Mm. And the image that sprung to mind for me was like, playing the drums and how people will be like, oh, you need to have four brains to play the drums because you're right. using both feet and your hands. And um, if you're like playing polyrhythms, there's multiple things going on all at once, right? Yeah, for those um, that don't play the drums, I played a little bit in high school and I never could get to this place totally, but my teacher was trying to train me to have each of mm-hmm. my limbs move independently. Yes. So most people don't move their limbs do doing different things with each limb independently Mm -hmm. but like it's very kind of essential to drumming completely but like you say it's difficult initially to parse out how to move those limbs independently your brain wants you to move them together completely completely so then like trying to separate them out can be this like weird jarring process right that feels kind of gangly and awkward Awkward, the way yeah Mars and Libra, I think, feels gangly, ungraceful and awkward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, realizing like, 
oh, most of my martial um, energy has come out through a Venusian, like an artistic and aesthetic um, way, and that is uh, through through drumming, right? It, it's mm-hmm. something physical, it's visceral, um, and but at the end of the day, I'm still like doing Venus work, but with Mars's tools, right? Mm. Um, Quick question about Mars and Libra that just came to mind. Have you ever seen the movie The Square? No. Oh, okay. It feels like a very there's a there's a famous scene. So it's about I'm reading the IMDb description. A prestigious, sure. prestigious Stockholm mu- museum's chief art curator finds himself in times of both professional and personal crisis. Anyway, there's this scene. They're at a museum, uh-huh. and it's like all of these people in black tie. Um, and then the art piece is this guy comes in and he's shirtless. And if you Google the movie, you'll see like the the um, cover. If you bought it on like Blu-ray or whatever mm-hmm. people buy, the cover is this guy standing around all these people in like suits and stuff and he's shirtless and he is acting like an ape for lack of Mm. a better description. And he's just like stalking people in the room as if he's going to like just attack them. Yeah. And that feels somehow uh, like the museum is often this Libra image. Yes. This kind of uh, tied up, uh, very proprietary, very like respectable Prim, uh, you know and proper and prim and proper like perfectly and liberal yeah. museum goers like on the board of the met or what have you and then there's just yes. like like a like a fucking animal like yes like a like holding the room hostage kind of feels that feels that is apt. an incredible mars and libra image i love that because mm-hmm. i definitely also think of libra as like an art gallery right mm-hmm. um and mars's presence there Anytime Mars is debilitated, you just think of like where where do knives, uh, where do where do fighting, you know, where where are those things completely inappropriate, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's an element like he doesn't attack anybody, I don't think, but there's an mm-hmm. element of like he's he's like riding the edge yeah. of like oh shit, this might go, this sh- might go fucking spin out out of control yeah. any moment. But it's like a performance art piece. Yeah, like the word that comes to mind is menace. He's just like menacing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I like that. Um, so yeah, having that that awkward Mars ruling my moon, I think it just like kind of has doubled down on some of like the physic- physical or like body associations with like work I've done too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I remember going to Nate Craddock for like a vocational reading uh, mm-hmm. several years back. And he's like, have you ever thought about doing plumbing, right? Mm. Um, uh, so I was like, oh, no, I haven't. So um, I, it was kind of this weird break where I'd already started working in education as I do now. And it was in the middle of the pandemic and education, lots of education was put on pause or like online. Right. Um, so I just needed a job that I could do. And I really enjoyed the sense of mastery that came with it, the knowledge of tool using that came with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, I worked with tons of martial people, you know, people Mm -hmm. who chewed tobacco, smoked tobacco, cursed all the time. They were rough around the edges. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We would argue. Absolutely know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
I actually really enjoyed my time in the trades. I think like working in kitchens is also like a very similar absolutely martial environment. And I'd done that before too. Um, but yeah, like especially as someone who didn't feel very competent when it came to using tools and doing DIY shit, like mm-hmm. that was an amazing process of malefic remediation, like both mm-hmm. Saturn and Mars. Um, I felt like really shown through that experience. And I learned a lot about both them and then just like you know, real life skills um, yeah. through that whole experience. Yeah, I also want to point out, um, like I have this little kind of theory about where people's Mars placement is. Perhaps if you also have Mars in the first, like mm. kind of the embodiment of that. Yeah. Um, like what kind of movement would be good for you? And mm. I have Mars and Sag in the first. And so like I do all of this stuff with my legs. Like I yeah. have cycled from San Francisco to LA in a week. Oof. You know, I've rid- I've uh run a marathon, like mm-hmm. I skateboard all the time. Like I just do all this stuff that favors my legs and um in the I, I forget the name of it, the Mela Melathesia, is it like the astrology man? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Libra rules the arms. And so it feels very fitting for Mars and Libra to be a drummer. And oh, for yeah. that for that to be kind of like a way of satisfying Mars in that sign in that place. Yeah. So totally. that's really cool as well. Yeah, I think like like having Mars in the first, maybe you can relate to this too. Just also having um moments of just having an abundance of energy energy and needing to get it out needing to express it some way and just Mm -hmm. like you know i've always really enjoyed bicycling uh too like to -hmm. get from point a point b and just for fun and also just like walking and having stamina to walk for multiple hours and finding it enjoyable um and then also like having mars debilitated in the first like i've because especially when i did martial work like would always come home with cuts, bruises, burns. Um, I've been hit by cars three times while bicycling. Wow. You know, like, so like also being somewhat accident prone too, mm-hmm. you know, that I think that goes with the ungracefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just like um, Mars really, leaving his mark on my body, literally. Yeah, you know? I really hate to admit it, but I'm a bit accident prone myself. Yeah, yeah. hate to admit it, but <laughs> it's, it is kind of true yeah totally unfortunately um okay cool what about moon phase what's your relationship of the moon with your sun and how does that kind of color your experience of your moon totally um so i have the sun in virgo i think you mentioned that earlier Mm -hmm. so that's in the 12th house whole sign house and my moon is in the second whole sign house so it's a it's a waxing sextile right i was born a couple days after a new moon mm-hmm. as i understand it that's kind of like the energy of like like that's kind of when the moon starts becoming visible after the new moon and there's this kind of energy of kind of stepping out on one's own a sense of curiosity and adventure but but also being kind of cautious of risk right mm-hmm. um and i can definitely relate to that insofar as like like i think it adds further testimony to having like Uranus and Neptune conjunct my IC and that being kind of bound up in the story of getting out of my conservative upbringing Mm -hmm. and you know like 
get, getting out of that, stepping out of my own, finding a path that works best for me, but also feeling this weird pull, like to, or like this, like the, the image that comes to mind, like I said earlier, is kind of like trying to extract oneself from a swamp or having like mm. really wet clothes dragging one down. It's like there is this pull to sort of return to the comfort and safety of what is known um, mm. while also being desirous of, of the unknown, of the numinous, of, you know, like what, what lies beyond and kind of there being a tension, tension there between those two impulses. You know what I mean? It's not like the waxing square which is like much more frictional it's like well there's still some support but you're not like fully fully out of the gate do you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah totally yeah there's this like newness that comes with like your particular distance the, the distance of your moon and your sun and there's also but there's also like a seeing the potentials like seeing what could come yeah. at that frictional moment um at the at the square mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting um, yeah i think the sex so style is of... like you can see what's gonna what may come of the cycle but not mm -hmm. not there has been no fruit born of it yet so right. there's something experimental about it and like you said ripe with uh possibilities and potentials mm. and i definitely think like common theme in my life has been like casting myself towards potentials and kind of playing with like, oh, what, like imagining myself doing this, doing that, but then coming into difficult moments where it's like, oh, but you can only choose one path. Like, yes, you can imagine yourself going 10 down 10 different roads, but you can, you have to choose one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you feel like that's perhaps like, like I think about, you know, the moon and the sun really going hand in hand and like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. So the quality of the sun's light is going to determine how the moon mm. can reflect. And that feels kind of Virgoan in what you're explaining, like yeah, seeing all these possibilities, but having to choose a thing. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I'm curious if anything comes up in reference to that for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think like having... Having the Virgo sun in the in the 12th, um, sidebar, shout out again uh, to Diana Rose Harper and her lecture. Uh, what is it? Lamps in the Dark? Or Lamps like, in the Dark. Lamps yeah. in the Dark. Uh, and like her whole bit about 12th house, 12th house luminaries, because that helped me understand my, my Virgo sun in the 12th a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know how much you know about tarot, but like Virgo's associated card is the hermit. Hmm. But if you put like a Virgo planet in the 12th, that really doubles down on that hermit feeling. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. being this figure carrying a lantern in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And I think like the moon, the Scorpio moon as the ill-fitting territory for like that, that prompted my very like 12th house, solitary, mystical search for, for knowledge, for meaning, for, for belief. Um, and it, it has served my son well. Mm -hmm. And I think with, I very much identify with like Virgoan practicality insofar as like, yes, we can, we, we can talk all day long about incredible potentials and possibilities. But at the end of the day, like we must, you know, you must choose something or like wisdom is only 
valuable insofar as it has real world application or mm-hmm. like like I'm very much find myself um these days getting like annoyed uh at like like any kind of fanciful discussion that has no concrete practical takeaways that can like really change change people's lives mm-hmm. like in a in a uh, way you can wrap your hands around do you know what I mean mm. Um, in relation to astrology in particular or just in general just in general i mean the thought that comes to mind is like having spent several years in sort of like hippie hippie circles and how people will talk about like oh we could do this project that project and it was like yeah those sound like awesome things but like (laughs) the the question lingering behind every like hippie gathering is like who's gonna do the dishes do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. who's who's gonna clean up who's going to make sure that like who's who's gonna be backstage making sure that all this shit comes together you know and 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 is able to come come about according to plan and there's that like virgoan desire to to um to see things to completion and not need recognition for it but rather have that sheer desire that like like this needs to happen and i will do what is necessary to 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 see it through does that make sense totally yeah i mean you have all of this air in your chart and it does seem and then like you have venus and leo and and a fire sign as you described at the beginning it does seem like although the moon and the sun are like in these houses that are dark them being in earth and water signs does feel very grounding Mm. for you Mm -hmm. is that something like kind of a bit of a saving grace even though there's perhaps some challenge that comes with it too does that resonate yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, like, I'm I'm an occultist, right? So I think having luminaries in dark houses actually serves me well in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Having a fallen moon serves me well in a way. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, I see, I guess, what I was kind of talking about. There's definitely a tension there between, like, for instance, my Mercury-Jupiter conjunction in Libra, like, mm-hmm. in an air sign, which I very much see as, like, yeah, the years I spent studying philosophy in which one can become lost in in ivory towers and like endless discussions uh, of like um, strange concepts and Mm -hmm. thought experiments, you know, um, but how often are you really going to be confronted with uh, uh, needing to derail a trolley car to save, Mm -hmm. I don't know, five people tied to the track or or whatever, you know? I, I studied philosophy in college as well. And I will say, I remember viscerally feeling by my senior year, like disembodied. I felt so concentrated in my head and I felt like I was like, I just need some time off to like get back into my body. That's such a good way of putting it. Like just in a phrase disembodied. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Yeah. And like you said, it's like, where does the rubber meet the road with these ideas? Like, yes. How can we, how can we materialize them? How can we make sure that they are like the theory aligns with praxis, you know, like totally. Um, I think that that's incredibly important. Yeah, and I think like getting back to some of my own life story I shared earlier, like I shared with somebody earlier this summer, like I learned that in this study of world religions, there's like um, a distinction between religions of orthodoxy, Mm. right belief, and religions of orthopraxis. I feel like Mm. where I'm at now is I'm only interested in religions of, or like just not even religions, just like right practice i'm Mm. interested in things practices 
that will make me a wiser, more compassionate, more grounded person. Like my issue was trying to find the orthodox belief and thinking that 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 that's what would solve the issue and realizing, oh, Mm -hmm. no, like I don't the beliefs are kind of superfluous, you know, Yeah. because if they don't pragmatically impact what you do every day, Mm -hmm. then who cares what you believe to some degree? Right. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the tension I think about a lot of um, like spiritual knowledge versus spiritual experience and Mm. reminds me of like the people I know and love in my life. I think about God in kind of the same way of like, I don't necessarily, you know, it's, I'm always like, how much do I know myself? How much do I know others? Like we all contain multitudes and we're all like unfathomable depths. Yeah. I don't know them, but I, I experience them. Like, I don't know what God is, but I experience the presence and love of God. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing that's meaningful and transformative, not, what i know about it yes yeah totally yeah. not god as a list of attributes attributes but god like experienced yeah yeah and i just think it's very beautiful you know like again you talked about it as a kid you're just like if i could just figure this out and i've i've like been in that place too where it's like if i can just fucking work the structure out in my mind totally you know? yeah like uh it'll be okay but it's just like that's not actually how it works. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. How about aspects to your moon? Are there any important ones that you want to bring up? Um, so I guess like the moon isn't, if you just like look on the face of my chart, it's not really making any dramatic aspects. There's like the sextile to the Neptune Uranus conjunction I mentioned earlier, but if you do grant the moon, like the 13 degree orb, we Mm -hmm. sometimes do, like if you just observed what, what happened the day I was born, right? Uh, the moon swept over to my um, Pluto in Scorpio, right? And mm-hmm. was conjunct Pluto in Scorpio. I've got the that millennial placement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it also activates the, the T-square that I've got between Pluto and Scorpio and then Saturn and Aquarius opposed mm-hmm. to Venus and Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I feel is like, that is the aspect in my chart that just like, um dominates so much of it um those are like that those two forces i feel like are constantly opposed like venus versus saturn you know as as opposite ends of this this seesaw with the Mm. moon uh and pluto kind of tugging upon it um i think like if we just look at pluto i think like i was talking about earlier my my soul searching um when i was much younger i think um to use like kind of a swear jar quarter word, I was just very intense as a as a young man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of scared some people off, or I was just like very, um, I just had this like white knuckle grip on life and this like mm. this sense of like I I need to figure this out. You know, like yeah. I, I need to sort this out. Like and this urgency that um, you know like Pluto Pluto touches something and just like adds this this feeling of um, of, of intensity of the stakes being so high, right? Literal life and death. Yeah, life and death. Why should I keep living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I see that my moon is, like, connected to that with then, like, the Saturn-Venus tension or, or opposition often 
uh, playing out as like I relish socializing, creativity, you know, connecting with others, but all also relish my time spent alone. Um, mm-hmm. Like I have Saturn in the fifth, and I find that my greatest creativity comes from like solitary walks in uh, Aquarian spaces, spaces in the hinterlands at the fringes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the tension between wanting to fuck off to the middle of nowhere to work on my book or mm-hmm. hang out with friends, you know what I mean? And and enjoy just the finer things of life, you know? Mm. Yeah, there's just this interesting thing in terms of like rulership of Libra in your mm-hmm. chart where you have all of the rulers aspecting the ascendant. Mm-hmm. You have the domicile lord, Venus. You have the exaltation lord, Saturn. And then you have Mercury and Jupiter, which are triplicity lords of air in yeah. the first house. And so there's this just really interesting thing of like, like wondering if that the opposition is mitigated at all by like Saturn somehow, you know, in trying to your ascendant, like resourcing that place as well, or perhaps like an avatar for you and the kind of tension between, you know, Venus and, and Saturn in that way. Venus also is like ruling Libra. So being an avatar. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think like there are plenty of routes that make that, um, workable in my chart. Mm-hmm. And I think I have like some really good fortune in terms of like mitigating factors um, that that kind of um, smooth that out. I think like the, the best way I can paint it in like an image or an anecdote is in my senior year of college, writing my senior thesis in my dorm room uh, about death and Heidegger and um, like mm-hmm. existentialism, right? Mm-hmm. While outside in the living room, my friends are uh, drinking, talking, um, DJing, uh, playing music, right? Uh-huh. And then like finishing my labor, right? Like finishing that writing project and then walking out into the living room and being like, all right, now let's party, mm-hmm. you know? Nice. Um, yeah, like they aren't, it's not that I can't have both, right? It's not right. like they're completely opposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not both? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's so fitting too. like uh, Saturn in the fifth ruling the fifth, like solitary writing and then Venus in the 11th ruling the first like, yeah, let's party, baby, you know, (laughs) (laughs) totally. And I think it's also like, oh, if you look at my creative output, it's like, oh, like what I create is like uh, is is pro malefic, right? It's Saturnian in nature. Um, Mm -hmm. I I've mostly made music in metal bands right so it's like Mm. i make heavy music right so yeah yeah Yeah, there's a cool thing too i'm just like riffing on triplicity lords now with Mm. your second where your moon is like the moon is its own triplicity lord and then venus is a triplicity lord as well of water Mm. so there's like this aversion to mars in the first like a kind of lack of resourcing you would think Mm -hmm. Uh, in scorpio but there is this kind of venusian lunar resourcing of of that place also yeah and i'm not sure how that plays out for you if that's resonant at all in any way but just interesting to note yeah i think if anything it's like you know i'm not incredibly well off right and that Mm -hmm. i think that is sometimes the what my internal voice will kind of like bitch about you know it's like just 
wish I had more money. I wish I wasn't so broke. I wish like the economy, like I wish inflation wasn't killing me or rent wasn't killing me or, you know, mm. like these, these little things I just complain about in terms of like second house topics, but then yeah. being like, oh, but I find my job as a teacher so fulfilling. I find my role mm. as a father so fulfilling. And like, I wouldn't trade um, what I do now for having instead become a professor of philosophy at a university or becoming a lawyer or, you know, like aiming for a job that would have brought in more income, but would not have become been perhaps as like relationally and emotionally fulfilling, you know what I mean, as caring for kids all day long, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's really important. It's like what ultimately is success. It's like that's something yeah. what ultimately is self-resourcing in the second house. Totally. That's, going to be different for everybody but to have your malefic out of sect rule your second which is like again <laughs> is not I'm optimal having, i'm having malefic out of sect station day <laughs> saturn in my second ruling my second it's like yeah yeah there's some there's some tough stuff that comes with like feelings about resourcing yeah yeah for just sure feeling feeling scrappy sometimes i think mm, yeah absolutely all right. Um, have you tracked the cycles of the moon in relation to your own life? And if so, what have you found? Yeah. So um, I will say that, like you've you've seen in my chart, like I've got big late summer, early autumn energy, right? You could mm-hmm. say with like most of my planets being placed from like late, uh, like late Leo to early mid um, Scorpio, and like when the moons just swings through that band of the zodiac like Mm. i i feel usually like pretty in pretty high spirits or rejuvenated as it kind of like hits each one of those signs Mm. um i've noticed that just like around new moons my energy is kind of like comes to a lull i have a greater need for rest a greater need for sleep and i have less energy i can devote to creative outputs and then like around the full moon i sometimes have a hard time sleeping I, but it's like, I don't sleep that much, but I don't need the rest either, you know? So mm-hmm. having like a high point in terms of, uh, just energy, um, uh, around those times as well. And then like, I know a lot of people had a tough time when, um, we had Scorpio moons while, uh, the, the, while Saturn was in Aquarius. I remember yeah. like seen people complain about that on astro twitter it's Mm -hmm. like dude i'm having my lunar return right now like i feel i feel great most of the time when the Mm -hmm. the moon is in scorpio you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think like really just watching the way the moon spins around my chart and will highlight the house topics you know Mm -hmm. as it moves from sign to sign i've always found fascinating and such a good practice for like you know embodying astrology on a day-to-day level and just also understanding my own chart too Mm, wonderful yeah in line with that do you have any other suggestions for like new adherence of astrology or planetary relationship and forming or initiating a relationship with the moon yeah so like i think that one one of my uh bugbears or like one of my um uh what uh, soapboxes right mm-hmm. is that like i think it's really easy in this this era uh, to um, get abstracted away from the literal sky, the like mm. literal planets and so stars, easy. right? That like 
form our practice. Like astrology is a visual practice. And if you're not going out and looking at the sky, looking at the planets, like, like you're just playing with, with concepts and symbols and it can become disembodied, like you said, yeah. right? I think like one of my most important experiences was like literally staying up all night once on a full moon uh, during 2020 and watching every single planet rise in the east after sunset mm. and culminate overhead and set, you know what I mean? Like one after wow. another. Um, and that was such a game changer, um, being able to see like literally what does each planet look like? Um, and and then also like nowadays starting to see, oh, like there's, um, there's this planet also next to this fixed star too, right? And starting mm. to bring in what, what that implies, you know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and then I think like in terms of like forming relationship to the moon, I've been thinking about how the moon is already this like object of devotion uh, for mm-hmm. even non-astrologers, like songwriters, poets, and just mystics throughout the ages. And how like so many works of art, like poems and songs have been um, written about or for the moon. Like mm-hmm. the very first composition we have, like a written composition that you can play, like a piece of sheet music, uh, is a Mesopotamian um, uh, like oration, a prayer, what have you to a uh, goddess who's like the wife of the moon god in Mm -hmm. a Mesopotamian culture, right? So I think like finding a lunar prayer, like a a poem about the moon, a song about the moon that like resonates with you and like being able to look the moon in the eye and read it to to her, him, them, however Mm -hmm. you conceptualize the moon um, is like a great way to start building a bridge, like a relationship uh, with the moon, you know, to to, to yeah. speak to them, whether it's with your words or someone else's. Mm. What's your song? I really like the 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 the. Uh, I really like the prayer of the of Monday or of the moon um, from the Hygromantia. There's a okay. it's a grimoire, um, uh, like a book, and it's all based in like planetary magic. There's also like a lunar calendar from the Hygromantia that I use as part of my magical practice um, mm-hmm. for like scheduling when I do different types of workings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really love, um, yeah, the prayer to the moon uh, in that in that text. Cool. All right, Caleb, are any, any imparting thoughts about the moon before we close? Any parting thoughts? Um, I, I, I've been go, stepping out lately and trying to look at the moon as much as I can. And I, I just want to like, kind of reiterate or hammer home that like please go take in the beauty of the moon because for me like every time I see it there's just this like little gasp right like I don't Mm -hmm. I hope and don't think it will ever get old for me like looking at the moon um and and like loving that sense of wonder that arises Mm -hmm. just by um taking taking it in you know wonderful all right, where can we find you? And is there anything that you're working on that you'd like to let us know about? Yeah, so you can find me at Heavy Metal Astro on most socials. I think on Twitter and a couple other places, it's Serpent Star or Serpent Star 93. Um, my main um, content I create is writing um, short trans reports or like mini essays about different 
things that are that that are happening like squares oppositions ingresses full moons what have you mm -hmm. and i always pair what i write with some song from sort of my, my encyclopedic library of heavy metal right whether it's something death metal doom mm -hmm. black metal whatever right um and then I just launched like a week ago from when we recorded this, a new Mars focused reading. So looking specifically at Mars in the birth chart in the nativity cool. and trying to suss out, you know, based on decanic strength and house placement, essential and accidental dignity, uh, stellar relationships. Like how does this particular Mars show up for this person as a warrior, as a weapon and as a wound? and helping mm. people to figure out how they can best embody um, the red planet in their life, right? Mm. Um, and I'm donating a portion of all those, um, the proceeds from those readings to uh, wolf conservation as sort of an act of devotion to Mars himself. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Um, I've been doing like a essay series also where I kind of archetypally compare um, different metal subgenres and the signs and I'm, kind of set that I did three of them and then I set it aside uh, for the summer but I'm returning to that soon so later sometime during Scorpio season I'll be dropping one on death metal and its relationship mm -hmm. to Scorpio uh, which yeah. I'm pretty excited about yeah you like referenced a uh, past podcast episode with um with Cameron Cam right Cameron Cassidy yeah the Pisces yes. moon episode for your Saturn and Pisces essay right yeah yeah it was all about um Saturn and Pisces and Pisces and the relationship to um Post metal, which is kind of mm -hmm. like this, for this subgenre of metal that like takes metal, but then like blends different forms of it, but blends it with other forms of music too. And I talked about the diffuse, um, uh, sort of oceanic or all-encompassing nature of of Pisces and how that yeah. can kind of show up in certain forms of music. Super cool. Yeah. All right, Caleb. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and sharing your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope I can talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you, man. Be well. To support the show by donating or becoming a member, please visit my website, which is linked in the show notes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sphallhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks. See you next time.